Welcome to the Filipino American Women Project, a podcast show that shares stories and life lessons told by individuals living or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a fellow Filipino American woman, and I'm excited for you to join us. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone. Jen Amos here with the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as TIFA Project for short. And I'm stoked because it's the new year. And as always, I have my amazing co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. Hello, beautiful people. Yes. And uh, I'm actually really excited because Nani just came back from the Philippines. And so we're going to save that conversation for another time. I just want to say, Nani, that I'm happy that whatever happened in the Philippines, you still decided to be on the show. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. You never know. People, you know, some people change. Like, you never know. Like, when they this go through, true. like... This is true. This is true. Yeah. So, we'll we'll catch up on that later. But I just want to thank you in advance for choosing to still be here. Even if I find out later that this is the last episode you do with me, I just want to thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be, I promise. <laughs> okay. Okay, listeners, you heard that. You heard that. Nani is not leaving. <laughs> you have my word that you all are witness. <laughs> okay, yes, because I will not edit this conversation out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, with that said, listeners, we are excited. I feel like I need to come up with more adjectives other than excited, but really, really excited for the new year and to have Nani back from the Philippines and also to kick off the year with new interviews from incredible people in our community. So I want to go ahead and introduce you all to our guest today. I want to introduce you all to Elisa Saki Lyon. So Lisa is a board-certified nurse coach, recovered binge eater, neuroplasticity enthusiast. She's also a San Francisco native, India-trained yoga instructor, entrepreneur, very cool, first time hearing that, and mindfulness junkie. Alisa Sakilayan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you both. Yes, it's our absolute pleasure. I know that we have been communicating with you on Instagram, and I think it was just a matter of time before we had you on the show. So we are just honored, you know, that you are joining us today to share your story and all the good work that you're doing today. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and start off, Elisa, with how did you hear about this project? And more importantly, what inspired you to join us today to share your story and all the good stuff that you're doing today? So I heard about the Filipino American Woman Project through a friend who referred me this awesome episode. And since then, I've been listening to it nonstop. And I remember listening to the one with Nicole Cruz, who actually is now my nurse coach. Uh, I'm sorry, not nurse coach, life coach. I'm the nurse coach. (laughs) (laughs) And she's just amazing. And right now, I just love hearing all about all the stories on your podcast and how it's really allowing others to be vulnerable. And that, in turn, is, you know, allowing me to be vulnerable and share my story with all of you here and all of your listeners. Awesome. I love how you said the word vulnerable because, yeah, I really think that this project has been a courageous act for all of us. You know, one for me to relaunch the show to begin with. We used to have it via Facebook Live back in 2017. And then we revived it or I revived it in 2019 of summer. And then to have Nani come <laughs> and join and, and co-host with me. And for everyone that we've interviewed along the way, I think this has just been a courageous act for all of us. So much that I definitely am trying to think about if possible, like how would we rename this project? <laughs> so that's kind of the top of mind right now that for any of our listeners, if, you know, for all of you that have been listening to the show and there's like maybe one or two words that really embody or describe the show to you and what it's meant to you, like let us know because I'm really considering of like renaming the show in a way that like, even though it doesn't say the Filipino American woman, you'll see that one word or two and you'll know like, okay, that show is definitely for me to listen to. So I'm so glad, Elisa, that you have decided to join us. And we want to thank you so much for being just a loyal, <laughs> a loyal listener and being mm-hmm. part of this project. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm super honored. And I really feel like this platform is so important for our community. 
especially around mental health. And mm. that is one of my goals, you know, is I want to raise more awareness about mental health and break that stigma, especially around body image issues and binge eating because there's so much shame around it. And I know mm. how, you know, debilitating and dark it can feel. And I want people to know that there are other people, let alone other Filipino Americans who are going through this issue and that there are resources and that there are tools and that there are people you can talk to about it. Absolutely. We're really excited to have you, Elisa, and I'm specifically really excited to hear more about your research on binge eating and how that is kind of tied to Filipino identity or Filipina identity. I know that that's something that you had mentioned when you first reached out to us, and I remembered that. So yeah, I'm definitely really interested to hear about that. Yeah, I'm excited to share. And <laughs> this actually reminds me because at the time of this recording, I had just listened to the latest episode you released or published. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, oh, I want to shout out this one woman who left a comment. And she mentioned that, you know, she wanted to talk about binge eating and body image or also Filipino Americans. And also, I asked, <laughs> and you're like, oh, by the way, how do I get the show notes from your podcast? Oh. <laughs> it became this huge joke because I know, Jen, you work so hard and you're really generous about your, your show notes. I was just laughing inside. She's like, I hear you. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I have to. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm glad that question was asked. And um yeah, that, that's it. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes. And in case anyone is still wondering how to get the show notes, it's typically in the episode notes itself. So if, you know, whatever platform you're listening to, I know a lot of our listeners listen through iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Before you start listening to the episode, there's a section right before the episode that says details. And if you span that episode and show you all of the wonderful show notes that I have worked so hard <laughs> for, for our listeners. So you're welcome. <laughs> and if you can't find it, please reach out to us so that Nani and I or one of us can go ahead and show you how to find it. Or you can wait on our website that I have been saying that I've been, I was going to put together for years now. So don't hold your breath. But in the meantime, you can do, you can check the details in each episode. Yeah, it's going to be that kind of night. I definitely need to go to sleep. <laughs> All right. Okay, moving on, moving on. (laughs) Okay, so Elisa, this project is dedicated to individuals who live or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female or pronouns she, her. Another thing I wanted to start inviting because one of our guests had joined us who is non-binary. And so if you identify as non-binary and of Filipino descent, we welcome you to our show as well. We definitely think it's important to show all representation in that sense. And especially if you feel called to sharing your story on this show. So with that said, Elisa, can you share with us why you identify as a Filipino-American woman? So I currently live in San Francisco. I was born and raised here. Both my parents were immigrants from the Philippines. They lived in Cavite, Philippines. So first, my dad came around the late 1980s to California, and then My mom moved and immigrated to New York, and she was working there as a nurse. Eventually, they both moved to California together, you know, had me, and the rest is history. And from there, kind of, you know, my parents were working all the time. My dad worked the graveyard shift. My mom worked the daytime shift. And so my grandparents, who also, my parents petitioned from the Philippines, were taking care of me. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much how I learned and my sister learned the Filipino culture, the food, eating with our hands, <laughs> watching boxing, speaking the Tagalog language. And so, you know, reflecting on that, it, I really do appreciate all of the different, you know, lessons and, you know, the language that they had taught us because I feel like that is a part of my identity now. And growing up, I did have a little bit of shame around being Filipino. Cause mm. <laughs> I remember vividly when I was in kindergarten, there was, it was like a, we were reading words off of the chalkboard and my fob accent <laughs> came out. <laughs> mm. And it was the word 
uh, Plymouth because we're talking about like Thanksgiving or something like that. And I pronounce it like Plymouth, you know, with like a mm. Bob accent. And so everyone in the classroom laughed at me and I just felt super ashamed. And ever since then, I've had this battle between identifying with Filipino and not. But slowly as I got older, you know, going into high school and college, I always gravitated towards Asians. I went mm-hmm. to a predominantly like Asian high school. We had the Philam and in college I was, you know, part of the Filipino group. And so a part of me always just felt like I belonged in that group of people. And then fast forward to college, I definitely felt like my mom being a nurse influenced me to also be a nurse. And right, you know, to this day, we kind of fight about it because she'll say like, no, I didn't influence you. You know, that was your decision. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. But I still felt really pressured to, mm. you know, get really good grades or go into the medical field. In hindsight, I do appreciate her because I have a stable job and I have the security of being a nurse. But there was still that little bit of resentment. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And fast forward to today, continuing to battle, you know, this being a nurse, I didn't feel called to work in the hospital because it really frustrated me to see patients who are really sick with these chronic diseases that were preventable. And I I felt like as a nurse, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had any control over that. And it was just, you know, it wasn't as rewarding for me. And granted, you know, I think Anyone who is a nurse working in the hospital, like I commend and I appreciate and I absolutely adore because it's a lot of hard work. But for me, it was, you know, it wasn't for me. And Mm -hmm. so I found coaching and went through that whole journey. And through that journey, I was able to heal myself and my own disordered binge eating and body dysmorphia. And so that was really a pivotal moment for me where, okay, this is my calling. This is what I want to do. I want to help people get to the root cause because chronic stress is, uh, it causes disease. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of stress around binge eating and that trauma. And so that's kind of where I am here today. Very beautiful. Wow. I love how you started talking about your nursing career because one of the <laughs> questions I had outside of the questions that you had filled out, was really about that topic of being a nurse. And so I think you're the first legit nurse on our show. I mean, we had Dr. Stella, who's a doctor, but I think you're like the first like nurse to be on our show, at least on the podcast. And, you know, in a lot of the interviews we've done, <laughs> there's always that common saying like, oh, you know, I didn't want to grow up to be a nurse like what my parents wanted for me. You know, I didn't want to be a nurse. I didn't want to be a doc. You know, I didn't want like a stable job. And it's so interesting that you are a nurse and like you can articulate like that struggle, you know, the pressure to be a nurse, even though your mom doesn't, you know, outright say that she pressured you, you definitely felt that pressure. And you were able to like, get to a place where you can still be a nurse, like, you know, part time, essentially, so that you can do your coaching. And so I think my question for you right now is, like, how do you respond to that typical statement when people say like, oh, I didn't want to grow up to be a nurse. I didn't want to do what my parents wanted to do. Like, did you ever hear that? And if you did, like, how would you respond to that? Does that make sense? <laughs> um, totally. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got that too. I think what really struck me was seeing my mom work so hard and seeing her come home and so burnt out and not even like have the energy to spend time with her kids. That was like what I didn't want to do. (laughs) And, you know, now that I'm grown, I tell my mom every day, like, you know, thank you so much for all that you've done and all of the sacrifices that she, you know, had gone through and the hard work. So, you know, I appreciate her and I definitely acknowledge all of that that she's done for us. But I think because there was this idea of, oh, all Filipinos are nurses, a part of me was like, no, I don't want to fall into that status quo. I want to be different. And Mm so to be really transparent, I applied to the nursing program for like shits and giggles. Like I 
was just going to apply to see if I would get in. And I happened to get in. <laughs> so I was like, oh, fuck. Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pass up, you know, I can't pass, pass up on this opportunity. So I went through the program. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I, I did not like, like it. It wasn't until my very last semester where I fell in love with working in the community. And the great thing about nursing is that it's so broad and, you know, you could go into any field. You can work in corporate, you could work at a clinic, you can work at the schools, you could be a coach. And so it's such a versatile career. And so looking back, I'm just grateful that I actually went into that. I don't know if I'm answering your question, actually. Did I answer that question? Yeah, I I think you are because... You know, you're in a sense, you're kind of in my eyes, you're kind of the product of the pressure in our Filipino community to become a nurse. And you did it, you know, and I mean, you initially applied for like shits and giggles, and then you got in and then you went through the process. And, you know, although it was difficult, it's not like you regret it, you know, because you're in a place where one, you have stability, and two, you can actually do other things that you want to do. And also, I, I appreciate you kind of elaborating more on the nursing career in regards to that. You know, it's so multifaceted. Like when you think of a nurse, you don't just think of a, a nurse in a hospital because that's kind of my stereotype in my head. It's like, oh, you're just you're in the hospital and you're there for like 12 hour days, three days in a row, you know, and then you're off mm-hmm. for like four days. You know, like you have kind of expanded my mind to see that, you know, nurses are not just limited to the hospital environment. Yeah. And, you know, I think if there are any listeners out there who are being pressured by their family to become a nurse or go into a medical field, for me, what helped me was that I knew I wanted to help people. And that was my passion was to ultimately like help the greater community make a global impact. And so at the time, I didn't know that nursing would translate into because I didn't want to work in the hospital. I didn't know that at that time it would translate into something bigger like what I'm doing now. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like being able to find that passion and that purpose and knowing that I was going to make a difference and that after I get my degree, I can curate my nursing into something more or something that is more aligned to what I want. If I had known that in the beginning, then I think I would have definitely put my whole heart into the program a little bit more. But I think at that time, I did not know that. And I had a lot of resentment towards my parents for pushing me to go into this program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of makes me think about how my mom used to pressure me <laughs> going through <laughs> school. She'd be like, you know, do this so that you can get that. You know, there's no explanation. There was no like, Like she didn't sell the vision to me. She was just very direct. She's like, do this so that you can get that. And that's it. Like nothing else. Like you don't question it. Like just do it. I did not do it. But I think it would have helped me too because I I like to question things and I like to fully understand things. And I think that my relationship with my mom would have been a little different back then. We have a great relationship today, but it would be different back then, I think, had she been a little more narrative or if she had articulated more as to why she wanted me to like do like certain things, you know, mainly like get a stable job with benefits. (laughs) That's really great advice for a lot of young Pinais who feel pressured by their parents or their families to go into nursing or the medical field in general, or whatever it may be that your parents might be, you know, trying to push on you or encourage you to do I also wish I had known that to really, when I was younger, to focus more on, you know, whatever my passion was and knowing, you know, being confident in what that was and thinking more about how I could translate what my parents wanted me to do into, you know, get a little more creative with how that could translate later down the line rather than just thinking like, oh, well, I don't want to be a nurse. You know, mm-hmm. like there's so many other things. There's so many facets of being a nurse that people don't realize. Like Jen was just saying that you never know as it might be a blessing in disguise, but you'll never know mm-hmm. until you just start experiencing things. So I really like that. That's really great advice, I think. Yeah, I love that you said blessing in disguise. But I really do feel like that's what it is for me now. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder if the reason why there was that disconnect was because of the Filipino culture and not like 
talking about our emotions and not connecting with, you know, I don't know if this is, I'm generalizing, but I feel like there is that disconnect in the Filipino culture, at least for my parents, like they didn't really get to know, like, you know, my passion or what is it that I really want to do and expressing our emotions and having that conversation around that, you know, there was that little bit of misunderstanding. And maybe they were just made oblivious to all the you know, the multifacetedness, is that a word, of of nursing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And also, I think that careers, not just nursing, but all careers have kind of evolved so much since they were, you know, our age looking for jobs or, you know, back in college when, or whatever age that they were when they chose their career paths, like careers contain so much more now, like a nurse is not just a nurse in a hospital, like we we're just talking about. And so I think there is definitely that cultural disconnect because if, you know, they're talking about their experience in the same field, looking back in their time, they're going to say, yes, Mm -hmm. it is this one stable description that, you know, is guaranteed to give you a good salary, good schedule, you know, good benefits, blah, blah, blah. Whereas in our experience, you can negotiate a lot of those things in different spaces that you go. So yeah, there's a cultural disconnect, yes, but also I think a generational one. Yeah. And uh, to add upon that, I'm kind of actually really enjoying this conversation because I feel like for anyone that's been listening, that is a nurse or in the medical field. And I I feel like I want to like apologize on behalf of I don't know, just everyone who's been on the show that has uh, maybe subtly bashed on the medical field and saying that they didn't want to do that. And I I think it's just, um, you know, this is a good conversation to say like, hey, actually being a nurse is not that bad. You know, it's not just your stereotypical, like working in the hospital, you can work in a school, you can be a traveling nurse. Those are the only two examples I could think of. So, you know, you can see how narrow-minded I am when it comes to talking about (laughs) nurses. But, you know, I I think this really opens up a conversation to say like, hey, that is a great career. There's so many options in the nursing industry. But also like, you know, I think bottom line too, if it's not something that you're passionate about, then, you know, that's a whole other conversation that we need to have. Like, it doesn't matter like what you want to specialize in nursing, I think like if there's different facets to being a nurse, it doesn't matter if you didn't actually want to really like do it, you know, to begin with. So, you know, so that's kind of where I feel like, like my understanding is of this conversation so far. And I wanted to see if anyone else wanted to add to it. Yeah, thank you for acknowledging that because I love nursing, like nursing is a freaking awesome profession. And I have met throughout the years since I've graduated, like in 2014, I have learned so much about the career. I am also a part of the nurses and is it the National Nurses and Business Association. So it's like all nurse entrepreneurs. Mm. And wow. Yeah. Amazing. And so, I mean, not going to lie, like to this day, I still get from people and my mom like, oh, why don't you work in the hospital? Like, that's where all the money is at. That's where your, <laughs> you know, your retirement is. That's like the best job to be in. And even like people, you know, strangers or even like my acquaintances and friends who don't really like understand what I do, like, oh, you're not a real nurse. Like, why aren't you working in the hospital? You know, like things like little comments like that. But I've just like learned to brush that off because, I mean, I know that this is like where my heart is. And I would rather be in a career where I am mentally sane, where I'm not getting burnt out, where I have control of my schedule, there's flexibility, and I mean, overall, like better quality of life, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's different, you know, it's different for each person's life situation. You know, there's like people who are nurses who have kids that they need to care for, you know, a house to pay off, car and, you know, whatnot. So I'm not bashing on the nursing career at all. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to put that out there. I think that you're adding a perspective that we have yet to have on this show. And I think that, you know, based on what you have told us about yourself so far and how you see your career in nursing, you're like a modern day nurse today. And I mean, hence entrepreneurs. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it's really cool to be sharing your perspective today, which is why I feel like I want to ask a million questions because you're like the first of our kind, in, in my opinion, to be interviewed on the show, like as an actual 
uh, nurse. Beautiful. I, I kind of feel like I'm in shock right now in, in like a good way because this is a very cool conversation that we're having so far about the nursing industry. And once again, I feel like I need to apologize, you know, because I feel like I had stereotyped nurses. Like it's funny because like, my mom's not even a nurse. Like she works in the hospital, but she does like admin. Uh, she's an administrative assistant uh, from what I recall. And I know like my cousins are nurses, but for whatever reason, I just have this like, you know, negative perception on wanting to become a nurse and not, not just a nurse, but becoming a doctor, becoming an engineer or, you know, becoming a military officer or like joining the military, essentially like anything like stable job related. But I love hearing Elisa, like from your perspective, I think that there's any takeaway that we're trying to say here to our listeners is that nurses are not just limited to the hospital. And if that has been your perception of a nurse, then I hope that this episode opens up your mind and really gets you to appreciate like what the nursing industry is or being a nurse is could really be capable of and all the beautiful stuff around it. Okay, cool. I'm done. I'm I'm done beating the dead horse. I'm going to move on. (laughs) (laughs) I just felt like I needed to like conclude that. All right. So, Elisa, we talked a little bit about what you're up to today, but why don't we dive in a little bit deeper? For people that are getting to know you for the first time, why don't you share a snapshot of your life today, particularly what keeps you busy and most excited about life nowadays? Yeah, sure. So, every day, my part time job or my day job is being a nurse at a local elementary school in San Francisco. And then after I come home and I basically work on my coaching business. So whether that's speaking with clients, creating content, you know, posting on Instagram, all of that entrepreneur stuff. And then two to three times a week, I teach yoga at Senior Center in Daly City and at a martial arts studio in Daly City. Shout out to 10th Planet. Uh, They're doing amazing things. It's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai. What is it? My Thai gym. <laughs> and what excites me the most is coaching. I mean, it's totally my calling. I love talking to people and helping them get out of their own way, sharing all of the knowledge and the tools that I have about being more mindful and being present in the moment. And that to me is how I feel like I am giving back to this world as a nurse. That is global health prevention to me. Uh, that's that's incredible. In our notes, you had mentioned that you are a recovered binge eater. And part of the work that you do as a coach is helping people, you know, work through binge eating and body shaming and what have you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and why you've chose to, you know, make that part of your coaching or part of what you do. Mm-hmm. So they say that your ideal coaching client is an old version of yourself. So Mm -hmm. that was me. (laughs) I had a history of binge eating and loss of dissatisfaction around my body in college. And at the time, I couldn't identify it. I didn't know I was actually doing it until I felt like it started to take over my life. I was anxious. I was experiencing maldepression. I was isolating myself from friends because I was afraid of the food that might be tempting me to eat, the drinking, and I needed to figure out what was going on. So I saw therapy and from there discovered that I had this problem. And there are several factors that might have attributed to it, such as me wanting to look a certain way and so that that's when the dieting came into play and the over exercising and that only made the binge eating worse and so it became so ingrained in my life that I felt like I had no control like it was almost like I was a robot Mm. and I couldn't stop myself from submitting to these urges to binge and I was going through this issue while I was also going through my training to be a nurse coach. And so I was able to do lots of introspection. I was working with my peer coaches. I learned how to be more mindful. I learned how to become more aware of all of these different triggers that were causing me to binge. And eventually, you know, I was able to pretty much heal myself through just 
being present in the moment, learning how to understood how my brain worked and how it functioned and that I wasn't broken. This is exactly Mm. what my brain was supposed to be doing. Like when you are constantly doing the same thing over and over again, it becomes this habit. So my brain was just working properly. I just learned, I needed to learn how to dissociate from that. And how it kind of plays a role in being Filipino, you know, I was reflecting on it and I feel like a part of the reason why I was so fixated on food was because it was always around me. It was almost Mm. like, you know, I was like, oh, if you're happy, here's food. If you're sad, here's food. Or I wasn't able to leave the table unless I finished all of the food on my plate, even though I was really, really full. You know, because my family in the Philippines were starving, (laughs) Mm. you know, or even the body shaming, like, you know, going to Filipino parties. I don't know if you guys have experienced this. But going to Filipino parties, it's like my aunties and my family were so quick to make a comment about my body. It was like, hello, Mm -hmm. hi first. It's almost like, oh, (laughs) hey, you look a little bit bigger or, you know, and it's not even just the negative. Sometimes the positive like oh you look so skinny or you look Mm. like a chick you know it doesn't matter if it was negative or not it was this constant objectifying of the body and I think that also played a role in my mind because I almost felt like I had to look a certain way you know and it might have been subconscious but it still I think played a role for sure all right Jenny was here jumping into the middle of our show as I always do to remind you why this show is possible So, you know, at the end of every episode, I tend to say, if you didn't catch our guest contact info, don't worry, we'll have those in the show notes. Check them out. I work so hard on them. You're welcome. Well, it's been brought to my attention that our show notes are not as easy to find as I thought, which is why starting summer 2020, the Filipino American Woman Project is proud to be partnering with Captivate, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host. Captivate is created for independent podcasters, designed from day one to help you to focus on audience growth and the expansion of your audio influence. One way that Captivate makes our lives easier as independent podcasters is by taking the guesswork out of making a website for your show. That's right, a website for your show. So listeners, starting summer 2020, finding our show notes will be so much easier. All thanks to Captivate. You're welcome, as always. If you're about to start podcasting or are getting burnt out from all the extra work of producing one, like building a website, consider a seven-day free trial, that's right, free, with Captivate by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's the philam, short for Filipino-American, woman.com. Or, you know, check out our show notes in the meantime, which is in the details section of each episode. Once again, you can visit thephilamwoman.com or visit the details section of this episode. Wow, I can definitely relate with the whole objectifying culture that I have even in in my own family as well. I remember one time I hadn't seen like my relatives in a while and I came over to a holiday party and my grandma was there and I have a I have a, a number of grandmas so no one will know which grandma I'm talking about. <laughs> but anyway, my grandma kept looking at me and she's like you, there's something different about you. Like she kept saying, there's something different about you. Like you, you just, you look different. Like there's something about you. And eventually what happened was I was in, in the, I don't know, like in the dining room and she said the same thing. And my mom is right there. And the first thing my mom said was like, Oh, it's because she got fat. <laughs> oh my God. And she says this like in the middle of the room. Okay. And I had already come in feeling insecure. Like I was wearing heels, which I never wear heels. Like it was one of those things where I was like, Oh, I'm going to try to like, you know, feel pretty, you know, feel good about myself. And I was trying out this new style. And my mom, when my mom said that I, I just couldn't contain myself. Like I got really emotional and I just left the party and I, I just stayed outside in the cold. <laughs> well, I mean, if you consider like SoCal, like cold weather compared to Virginia, but I was sitting out in the cold, like, you know, and I deliberately didn't want to go back in the house because of like what my mom had said, but I completely understand and relate to that. And all the things, all the experiences that you have mentioned are very relatable. So I don't think, think it's just you. I heard Nani in agreement as well. Nani, any thoughts? Yeah, I think that the whole commenting on your weight thing 
when you go home to like a family party is definitely like a rite of passage <laughs> in Filipino <laughs> families. I know my grandpa was like that. And with him, you just, you couldn't even really be mad at it because of how like blunt he was. You could tell like he wasn't trying to be offensive. He's literally just saying the first thing that comes to mind. But I remember like my uncle brought his new wife around for the first time and he made a grown woman cry because of that because he commented and he will just be like oh wow you're fat you know oh, like that wow. that's literally what he would say or and a lot of times I'll come home and uh my dad is the same way even on Facebook I'll post a picture and he'll comment and say uh you look too skinny go eat a cheeseburger and I'm just oh like okay yeah. did did you have to like take the time to type that out and post this for everyone to see. <laughs> Couldn't you have just told me that when you saw me or something? But you're right. It's always something, whether it's fat, skinny, whatever, it's always too, too something. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I think it's also part of our culture to be blunt. There's like no filter. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I actually talked to my mom about it <laughs> and I was like, Hey mom, you know, I'm just curious. Like when you make comments about people's weight or their body like what do you mean mm. she was like and she didn't think of it as anything she said that her and her co-workers and her peers they comment on each other's bodies like it's nothing and it's their way of acknowledging that oh you got you're doing a good job or oh you know I care about you and maybe you should change up your diet because you're gaining weight like and to them it, it isn't offensive they they don't take it that way in their generation mm. so that was just really interesting to hear you know like they're not saying it out of malintention it's not to be malicious I mean I think some sometimes some people do mean it that way but it was interesting to hear you know my mom's perspective about it yeah I, I was thinking this is just like my theory but I feel like uh objectifying us is a form of like in a weird way like mental health for like um the quote-unquote like older generations or more traditional generation where like you know for them it's not about asking like how are you feeling it's asking have you eaten yet you know and mm -hmm. if if they look at you if they're looking at your body they're looking at your well-being because I think about that and, you know, I think about like my mom and like, you know, when I visit her and I'm about to leave the house, she's like, oh, like, do you want to pack food? You know, like that's her way of showing that she cares. And that's her way of at least knowing that I'll be taken care of and I'll be okay. But I'm wondering, like, because we all had kind of discussed that and even on the show in general, that we're still normalizing it for our community. You know, it's still a thing that's, you know, being brought in. <laughs> and I think at least with my mom having been an immigrant, like her background is like, you know, mental health was like not a thing. So the closest thing to that was about, you know, survival or like making sure that you ate because food is life. I think mm -hmm. someone had said that on our show before, food is life. And if you are, you know, overweight, you know, that's probably a sign that maybe you're stressed about something and you're stressed eating, like, or if you're too skinny, maybe you're like stressed not eating. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think this is just my theory, but I, I feel like for... um some people in our community, that's a way of, you know, checking with you and your overall like well-being. And, you know, sometimes the fastest way to tell if someone's okay or not is by looking at them sometimes, but not all the time. So I wanted to see if any of you two agree with that or if that made any sense. <laughs> I mean, I think it definitely made sense. I think in my family's case, it's, I don't, I don't know if their thought process behind it is even that, <laughs> that long to me, it just seems to be like a simple observation that it just doesn't register to them would be offensive to someone else to hear about themselves. But yeah, to me, it just seems like it's just no filter. Like, oh, I see this. I think this. I say this, mm. you know. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, <laughs> Jen, I think that's a really good theory. I've, I've thought about that, too. And I wonder if it's because Filipinos coming from this, you know, underdeveloped country, it's almost like, okay, if you're too skinny, then, then you're malnourished or something mm. like that. Mm -hmm. And or, and I think even some other Asian cultures, they view as someone who's a little bit bigger as being really wealthy or being really nourished and healthy. 
So that's, you know, that's really interesting too. Yeah, absolutely. So Elisa, in your experience and for you, you know, I, I know you kind of uh, mentioned this a little earlier too, but what are some things that you realized or maybe even some mantras that you, you know, tell yourself, maybe remind yourself that, you know, it's okay to maybe eat what you want, or it's okay, you know, to not body shame yourself, to love your body for what it is. Like what, what did you have to do or or tell yourself or even tell yourself today to, to overcome that? Mm -hmm. So with the body dysmorphia, I was so uncomfortable with being in my own skin that I felt like I had to get skinny in order to feel like I would be accepted or in order for me to feel like I would love myself or even be comfortable in my skin. So a lot of it really had to be looking at myself in the mirror sometimes. Like I was so uncomfortable with looking at myself in the mirror Mm. and I would fixate my eyes on a specific body part, like, I don't know, my stomach. And I had to really take time every day to look at my overall body and say, this is my body overall. I am healthy. I am functional. I can Mm. move. And slowly creating mantras like I appreciate my body. It was hard for me to say I love my body at first. Mm. So I had to slowly work myself to that place. So starting with things like I acknowledge my body or I acknowledge my body for having the ability to move and walk. I appreciate my, you know, my hair. (laughs) And slowly, like, as that practice went on, I was creating these, like, you know, new pathways in my brain to start appreciating and loving my body in a more wholesome way versus hating my body to, you know, just versus, like, shaming my body into the appearance or into the shape that I wanted to get to because you can't get to a place of love from doing that. You have to cultivate that love within yourself first and looking a certain way isn't going to get you there because Mm. I even thought about like, okay, imagine myself, you know, a few years from now in my ideal body. Will I actually feel like I love myself? And I couldn't say that I would. Wow. So yeah, I was really having to cultivate, you know, that self-love, sometimes even doing mirror work and looking at myself in the eye and saying, I appreciate you. And then slowly, I love you. It was so uncomfortable, though. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. It's, it's a process. It's a journey. It's not about, you know, this type of work isn't going to happen overnight. So really having that compassion and that kindness for yourself to slowly get to that place. That's beautiful. That sounds like a good exercise. I should just look at myself in the mirror and say, I love you, body. (laughs) (laughs) Just that sounds fun. I recall like, actually, this literally, like, I literally did this yesterday. I was driving to meet up with some friends. And as I was driving, I took a moment to just pray. And I just, I like to have like open conversations with God. And I'd say, you know, Father God, I just want to thank you, first of all, for the fact that I was able to shower myself, (laughs) you know, I was able to like get in the shower. I was able to clothe myself. You know, I was able to get out of the house. I can drive. I can see. I have full vision. You know, I'm capable of driving. I'm not disabled. I also like that I can multitask. I can drive while I talk to you, you know, And, and really just being able to like celebrate just the little things that we take for granted. Like I did that yesterday and I was feeling very proud of myself for doing that. I do that quite often, but it's, it's like, it's a good reminder to be like, yeah, like, sure, sure. I may have like, you know, loose arms and like, you know, a loose stomach, you know, but it's like, that's okay. Because even for me in my young twenties, I, I remember what it was like to really feel self-conscious. It was when I was so stressed, I would break out an eczema. And to me nowadays, like I care more about clear skin than like the perfect body. As long as my skin's not breaking out, I'm the happiest person alive. So I, so anyway, with that said, I appreciate you like sharing like your experience. And also Nani, I wanted to see if you had any thoughts as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that with this type of topic, holding a lot of compassion for yourself, like you said, Elisa is really key because I've also tried to do that before. I think we've all kind of experienced the the affirmation thing 
And it is super difficult to look at yourself in the mirror, in the eye and say something simple like I love you or I see you or whatever your affirmations are. It is weirdly difficult to do that. And I think a lot of us have tried to have that intention, but just feel kind of silly after a while doing it. And so it's refreshing to hear that you have kind of carried it through in order to actually heal. So yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah, I think I just wanted to add that this type of work is difficult and it's different for each person. I mean, what really was a game changer for me was creating a morning ritual. And, you know, when you think of morning ritual, there's so many different things that can go into that. I read this book by... Hal Elrod, I think is his author, called The Miracle Morning. And he had this acronym for creating the foundation of your morning routine. And it was SAVERS, S-A-V-E-R-S. And S stands for silence. So that could be your meditation or your prayer. A, affirmations. V, visualizing. So visualizing your day or your goal or, you know, your life. E is exercise or whatever type of movement. R is reading. And for me, it was reading or listening to a podcast. And then S is scribe or like journaling. Mm. And it sounds a little daunting, you know, to think of all of those things and jam pack it into a morning. But it doesn't have to include all of that. It could be whatever resonates with that person the most. And it doesn't have to be a whole hour. Like you can literally do five minutes of one thing and 10 minutes of another thing. So that like creating this morning ritual has been the catalyst to, to really changing my life because it allowed me to wake up early before anyone else was awake. This feeling of silence and solitude and reverence and really prioritizing myself before I could go out and help and care for other people was just, you know, so it was magical. (laughs) It was literally Mm -hmm. like magic. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah. Yeah. I I second that. (laughs) No, (laughs) No, that's beautiful. And for me, I have this in my notepad on my phone. I pinned this note where it has all the things that I've done collectively throughout the years of how I start my day. So I don't have like that acronym. I should, that's probably another thing I'm going to add after this. <laughs> but, you know, I would, um, like, for example, one of the things I have listed are the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. However, if I feel like some discomfort or feel like I'm lacking something or whatever, I usually go through that list and think, okay, like, are my basic needs met? Are my are my safety needs met? Are my community needs met? You know, and those three alone, like once I even get to like the third level, I, f- I feel happy even just reciting it like out loud to myself. So I have that and like many other things. But I think what, you know, really what you're trying to say is like understanding that this is not easy work. You know, you can't just one day like wake up and like love your body. You really have to want to love your body and you have to want to love yourself and you have to be your number one advocate in doing that. And so I think it's really cool to, you know, share what you actually do. And I think you're setting a good example as a coach. So, so kudos to you, Elisa. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, beautiful. All right. I wanted to see if either of you had any other things that you wanted to share about this conversation. I'm glad that we had discussed it very thoroughly because I feel like it's an issue that many of us have gone through. I mean, it's enough that I mean, it's not enough. It's we, we, you know, it's enough that like we don't feel Filipino enough. We don't feel American enough. We don't feel, you know, enough of a lot of things. And then to, you know, body shame ourselves on top of that. Like there's just so many layers, I think, as a Filipino American woman where we just like don't feel enough. And sometimes something as simple as learning to love yourself is the start of overcoming all of that not enoughness, you know? And so I'm glad that we, had this conversation today to really talk about like feeling enough. It, it takes work. It takes work, you know, so, you know, given our history and given where we are today and, and what society expects of us, what family expects of us and thus like what we expect of us. So it's work, it's work listeners, it's work and we can get through it together. <laughs> we can get through it with having open dialogue such as this. Yeah. I love that you said that, that we, that feeling of not feeling enough 
And if you really think about it, we were all born already enough. You know, we Mm -hmm. have everything that we already need within us. And, you know, that is our birthright. And sometimes being able to separate ourselves from our mind and getting out of our heads and internalizing all of this shit that we went through, being Filipino, whatever, and really honing into ourselves and what we really feel and embody within us. If there's any way we could tap into that, whether that's through mindfulness or being, you know, present in the moment, taking a few deep breaths to really get in the present. Because I feel like a lot of us, we ruminate about the past or we ruminate about the future, and that mm-hmm. is what gets us stuck. So I think I'm kind of, I'm all about the mindfulness right now because I just got back from <laughs> a mindfulness training. So the connection with the breath is sometimes just really, 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 really powerful. And it helps us connect back to the present moment. And, you know, that feeling of enoughness can sometimes be mitigated by just breathing. No, that's powerful. My husband is a big Wim Hof fan and Mm -hmm. he's all about breathing. And just, we started doing yoga together because, you know, that's our sort of easy way to get back into fitness. <laughs> but the other day, he wanted to start including like breathing exercises. And it's so true. It's like, you know, we breathe automatically, hopefully, but to actually want to breathe and to breathe deeply, mm-hmm. like it really brings you in the present. And so I think that is really cool and a really powerful tool to be present and And I think mindfulness is really important for all of us. And I do feel like I do find that with a lot of our our listeners, when we do get feedback, a lot of people listen to our show, they're reminded to be in the present. And when they hear so many of our stories, they start to think, oh, I just have to love myself for who I am right now. Because, you know, there, there are other women who are going through the same issue or going through the same situation, but this is how they are able to be more present and love themselves and, you know, just show up as they are. So powerful stuff. With that said, let's go ahead and jump into one of the last questions for our interview. How are you two doing, by the way? I feel like I sound tired, but I th- I'm like really into this. I just hope you guys know that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I think we are. Okay, cool, cool. All right. So, you know, with the TIFA project or the Filipino American Woman Project, our goal is to publish a book where we collect a series of life lessons and stories that led to those life lessons by Filipino American women. And so, Elisa, when we had asked you what life lesson you wanted to share today, you had said that you have the ability to rewire your brain, change the way you think, thus modifying the way you behave, act, and ultimately live. I would love for you to elaborate more on that life lesson, Elisa, and also share what aspect of your life led you to this life lesson. Yeah, so that is pretty much neuroplasticity. And there used to be a theory that when we got to a certain age, like 20 or 25, our brains stopped growing or stopped adapting. And that's not true because as we get older, our brains are constantly changing, is constantly adapting to our environment. And plastic is is used in the term neuroplasticity because it shows that our brains are malleable, it's adaptable. And mm-hmm. so shifts in action, changes in our brain structure and organization, you know, as we learn and experience and adapt through life. And so I wanted to bring this up because through my binge eating journey, my brain was so accustomed and conditioned to want to binge that it felt so automatic. It was a part of my subconscious mind. And in order for me to really break free from that, I had to understand how the brain worked. And our brains, they, they, are their their neural pathways are reinforced reinforced through repetition. So the more we did something, the stronger that neural pathway became. In these terms, my binge eating habits. And the you know, the more years I went through this issue, the harder it was to change. And I just wanted to really bring, you know, raise awareness to your listeners that if there's 
anything that they're going through, whether it's, uh, you know, a traumatic thought or a binge eating habit or body shaming or sadness, they are able to rewire their brains by just changing the way we think. You know, mm. the, the neurons that fire together, wired together, where attention goes, energy flows, you know, that whole cliche thing. And so by changing the way we think and perceive the world can change our trajectory and our path in life. So it was just merely being able to sit with myself and observe my thoughts and not react to them was what I needed to do in order to change my trajectory. So I don't know. I don't know if that's making sense. I I hear you. I am actually part of a, my sister, for my birthday last year slash Christmas present, because I'm a December baby. She, um, Mm -hmm. she gifted me a a group coaching program. And it started just like two weeks ago. So this is like, like top of mind for me. One of the things that we're learning in the coaching program is the book, The Secret. I, I think a lot of people know about it by now. And if not, just You can Google it, but it really talks about the law of attraction and how, you know, thoughts become things. And if you think it, you know, you're, you set up your, your mind and your whole being to, to pay attention to that. It's kind of like saying, Oh, I want a red car. And all of a sudden you see all these red cars on the road, you know, and that's kind of the way that law of attraction works from, from my understanding. And so to me, that's, that's how I understand like what you're saying is like, it it does like start with thought and it goes back to mindfulness and being present in your thoughts, I think. So that, that's how I was able to understand that. Did I say that right? Did I paraphrase that right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love that you brought up mindfulness because mindfulness was a huge part of my recovery. Mm. Just having five minutes of focusing on my breath observing my thoughts and not reacting to them, not judging them, letting them go and pass by. Just five minutes a day was all I needed to kind of have the strength and the mental resilience to not submit to an urge to binge. Mm. So I don't know, you know, just building that mental resilience was what helped me not binge. And you know, of course, it was hard to begin with, like any new habit you're, you're, you're trying out. I like to use the analogy of like when you go hiking and you take the common path, like it's paved and of course it's easy to walk through. But the minute you go another path that isn't paved and you have to kind of brush through the bushes and, you know, kind of create your own path, it's going to be harder. But the more you walk on that path, the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. You had mentioned earlier in our conversation that as a nurse, you had noticed that there were a lot of illnesses that you saw in your patients where it could have been preventable. And I'm curious if mindfulness is allowed to be taught as a, you know, as a nurse, you know, in medical setting, like if you were able to teach that, do you think that would make a difference for some people who have like chronic illness or, or what have you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's lots of studies out there on mindfulness and how it helps with stress. And if you really think about it, the risk factor of stress is so many of these chronic diseases like high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, depression, PTSD. And so when you're able to teach someone how to be mindful, you're not only helping them with increasing their focus and their their attention, you're not only helping them with emotion regulation and, you know, helping them build their empathy, coping in healthy, healthy ways. You're also decreasing all of that stress. So absolutely, I think mindfulness is something that definitely needs to be taught to all of our patients in the hospital, not even just our patients, but like our, our staff and the nurses that are working there as well. Awesome. I mean, I think that all of this just really hits home for me specifically. I think that I definitely do the binge eating thing (laughs) a lot and go through periods where, you know, I'll try and be really, really conscious about being healthy and then something just, you know, tips the iceberg over and I'm like, oh, screw it. And I fall down the rabbit hole of binge eating. And it's definitely what you said earlier, Elisa, something that's conditioned in my brain because it's something that I really don't even think about until I'm 
doing it already. And then I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but I don't mm-hmm. stop, you know, I just like, it's totally out of habit. I wrote a blog post about it a couple of months ago, I think, on how to inspire change in bad behavior, such as binge eating and just weird habits that we do like that, like, you know, picking our nails or biting our nails, whatever things that we know are not healthy for us, but we just, for whatever reason, find some kind of comfort in doing it. And it's something that I definitely have wanted to explore more, but also not wanted to explore more because just because of the kind of luring scariness of approaching changing bad habits and how difficult it is to but and that's really what it comes down to is just being mindful and being present with our thoughts and you know letting go of all those little stories that we're telling ourselves in the back of our heads that are you know controlling those those weird decisions that we make so I appreciate you highlighting all of that Mm -hmm. and Nani thank you for sharing that and I think one of the biggest takeaways I took from my binge eating journey, and I, you know, I paid for all of these different programs, <laughs> like coaching programs. I have virtual coaches. And one of the main things I learned was to stop binging. There's two main things we have to do is one is to get rid of that diet mentality and not restrict. Because what people who binge eat tend to do is they, you know, they're on this diet, they're restricting themselves all day. And then at night, It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. I just want to eat everything. And then they kind of bargain with themselves and they say, oh yeah, I could eat this one thing and it becomes, you know, the whole bag. Mm -hmm. And then two is is dismissing the urge to binge because really the thing that's causing you to binge is the urge. It's not your thoughts. It's not you. And when you're able to create space between that urge to binge and the action of binging, that space and that time is all you really need to think twice about it. Mm, so really simple instructions, but not easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I can I can see that already, but I that's that's interesting. Like give yourself time to react. Mm-hmm. There's this uh, book that I've come to like it's called the fuck it diet. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever oh, heard yes. about it before? Oh yeah. And one thing I learned from reading it is that when we try to put ourselves in a diet, we're telling our body that we're about to be in a famine state. And so it, it gives it, it kind of, um, it really said dieting sets you up for failure because it makes you think of food that much more and it makes you self-sabotage. The book talks about the importance of actually listening to your cravings and trusting your cravings because, you know, maybe initially you'll want like a whole pumpkin pie like me, but in time, in time when you neutralize food and, you know, neutralize its power over you, you'll actually start to crave healthier things. Like for me, I love to snack on beets. Like I just, I just really love beets, you know, and I love asparagus (laughs) and I love broccoli. I love to steam asparagus and broccoli and add, you know, Himalayan salt on it. It's the best thing ever. But I had to come to a place where I had to, you know, the whole mindfulness thing, like saying like, Hey, like, I don't need to starve my body. Like, I don't need to put myself through this. And when I really started to dig deep as to why, like, I felt the need to be skinny, like when I really figured it out, I was like, I was like, I don't need to do that anymore. Like, I got no one to impress, you know, (laughs) like, I, (laughs) like, I don't have anyone that I'm aspiring to like, want their approval of, you know, And, and I feel like when I had got to that place, I was, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it, it's so important for me to feel healthy. And, and for me, it's all about like my eczema breakouts. It's like, as long as my skin doesn't break out, then I'm fine, you know? And I find that eczema for me usually stems from stress more than what I'm eating. So anyway, I just, I don't know why I shared that. I don't even know what my point was, but yes, I think I was adding to the conversation that you two are having. And I think this was a really eye-opening conversation today, not just about understanding uh, the nursing career and that it's more than just working in a hospital, but even understanding our relationship with food and our bodies and overall just like being present with ourselves and meeting ourselves where we're at in this current moment in life and saying like, hey, it's okay. Like you're cool. You're going to get through this. And um, let's remind ourselves that every moment that we can remember or to make a routine out of it if it doesn't come naturally for you to be mindful. Mm -hmm. 
Awesome. All right, ladies. Well, I feel like we had an incredible conversation today. I wanted to see if either of you had any closing thoughts before we jump to how people can get a hold of you, Elisa. So any closing thoughts for you? For me, I think I just wanted to close the thought with everyone and say that, you know, if you're struggling with something, you're not alone. There are resources out there. And, you know, don't wait for a wake up call to wake up. You have Mm. the power to change your reality. Wow, that's good. Don't wait for a wake up call before you wake up. That's good. That's good. Good, yes. (laughs) Beautiful. Uh, Alisa, if anyone is interested, which I think there will be plenty of people who are interested in getting a hold of you, how can they do that? Yeah, you can send me a message on IG at Alisa Coaching. Or you could email me at elisa at elisacoaching.com. And I would love to talk to you, especially if you are a first or second generation person of color who are struggling with body image or binge eating patterns, or even if you want to learn more. I am offering one hour free discovery calls. So if you're interested, please send me a message. Very cool. I love how you have Elisa coaching as your IG handle. I feel like that should have been taken by now. And so it's really cool how that was like available for you. Uh, Cause it seems like, it seems like it'd be common. Like it seems like I, I feel like there are Elisa, there's a lot of Elisa's out there in my opinion. I mean, there's a lot of Jennifer's. My, my full name's Jennifer. There's a lot of Jennifer's out there. I imagine there's like a lot of Elisa's out there. So I just think it's really cool that you got that IG handle. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I know. I was pretty surprised when I signed up for it. I was like, oh, okay, it's available. I need to hang on to this. (laughs) Yes. Love it. Well, Elisa, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our show today. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing your story and adding perspective to what the nursing career could really be like, understanding, you know, binge eating as well as mindfulness. And Nani, I want to thank you for co-hosting with me as always. I'm so glad that you're still here after coming back from the Philippines. So yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yay. I'm still, I'm still going to be here. (laughs) anywhere. <laughs> I, I should I should really not manifest that. I should really not like to keep saying that. And then one day you're just like, you know what, Jen, I'm done. It's over. And I was like, oh my God, it's because I kept talking about it. I manifested Your wish it. comes true. Yeah. No, I don't wish for it at all. I don't. Stay here forever for as long as we can do the show. Um, yes, okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. And listeners, as you all know, I work really hard on my show notes or on the show notes. So if you didn't catch how you can get a hold of Elisa, uh, don't worry that'll be in the show notes for you that's typically in the details of each episode and our future website which has not been made yet i know so hopefully in talking about it i will manifest it as well with that said we want to thank you all for listening in and we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode tune in next time bye bye everyone and thank you so much for listening thank you jen and nani honestly it's such an honor and a pleasure speaking with both of you and creating this platform for all of us to share our stories